Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. Hey, Tim, can you turn me up here a little bit? Hey, Tim, turn me up here a little bit. Good morning, everybody. Welcome. You can hear me now. Good. Glad you can hear me. Welcome to everybody. Welcome on this second Sunday of Advent as we prepare our hearts for the coming of Christ. We welcome each of you during the special season of the year when we come to worship the, the baby Jesus in the coming of our Lord. And we welcome our guests especially today. We're so glad that you're here today and, and a part of us. And we hope that you'll feel very much a part of our family as we worship God together. Let me re- uh, remind everyone of the attendance sheets on each row. We'd like to ask if you wouldn't mind to take those and fill them out so we can have a record of your attendance with us and go ahead and check in on your on your phones. And uh, a few announcements I'd like to call to your attention. First of all, thank you to our senior adult class for a wonderful breakfast this morning. Uh, this is something we do once a month and uh, different Sunday school classes have uh, responsibility for that. So we are grateful for the wonderful breakfast we had uh, this morning. So thank you for that. Uh, we will be holding a deacon election soon. Uh, there is a sample ballot on the uh, table. And if you do not want to be considered a, uh, as a deacon uh, for our church, please scratch your name off of that because we don't want to waste votes on people who are not interested in doing that. So if you don't want to be uh, considered a deacon, please scratch your name off of that. Uh, this afternoon, uh, the Tapestry Chorale, and this is a, 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 a choir group uh, consisting of voice from Community Baptist Church, all of these folks back right back here, First Christian Church, Presbyterian Church, and St. Paul's Episcopal Church. Four churches have gathered together. We started this last year, and uh, we'll be doing a presentation of, of uh, candles and carols, and uh, that, that will be at St. Paul's Episcopal Church this afternoon at 5.30, and we hope that you can be here for that, or be there for that. And I think there's going to be some fellowship afterwards as well. Our upperclassmen group will be going to McCutcheon Meadows on Saturday, and uh, so Sue needs a count today. So if you plan on going uh, to that uh, um, uh, outing on Saturday, please see Sue and let her know today. And Rudy is selling popcorn, and the proceeds are going to Henderson Christian Outreach. Uh, And some of you have already signed up to purchase some popcorn. How many of you have done that? Some of you have. Okay, you need to do it again. There's a sign-up sheet on the table, and uh, Rudy says he he misplaced uh, the original sign-up sheet. So you need to sign up again if if you. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel your pain, Rudy. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, uh, last week, the uh, the rector at St. Paul's handed me a three by five card with the reading that I'm supposed to read tonight for the program. I have no idea where it is or what I'm supposed to be reading. <laughs> So I know what you're talking about there. Uh, but sign up. Uh, if you haven't signed up before, sign up. If you have signed up before, sign up again for your popcorn um, um, purchases. It's good to share this time, especially this time of the year. It's great to share this time of uh, fellowship, this time of worship uh, with the people of God. So let me invite you now. Let's stand and uh, let's share Advent love with one another as we greet each other as Christ would greet us. Amen. 
when he became king of Israel, and he reigned for 40 years. Now, David wasn't perfect, but he put his trust in God and served God well. And God blessed King David in Israel. Excuse me, sorry. Israel flourished during his reign. After God had given him success against his enemies, a palace was built for this great king. When the palace was finished and David was settled in his new home, he called for Nathan, the prophet, and said... It is not right that I am living in a palace of cedar while the house of God remains in a tent. David wanted to build a temple for God to take the place of the tent that had served as God's home for many years. That night, God came to Nathan with a word for David. God would have a temple as David wanted, but it was, would not be built by David, but that it wasn't excuse me, all that God wanted David to hear that night. God wanted David to hear these words. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people of Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now make your name great, and I will provide a place for my people and and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise you up, raise up your offspring to succeed you. I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. God made a covenant of love with David that day. A covenant in which God promised never to take God's love away from David or from his offspring. 
the line of David would remain on the throne of Israel forever. You see, for the line of King David would come to would come the king of all kings. This king would save God's people, not just for a while, but forever. God's love is so much more than our own. And we celebrate that today as we remember how God sent God's Son, a king in heaven, to earth to be with us. We light this candle of love to proclaim that we are God's children, loved for eternity.
if you'll join us down front for our children's moment, please. Oh, look, there's a lot of big kids here, too. (laughs) I'm not going to call you guys down, even though you were little kids when I was director of children's moment. (laughs) All right. Did you all look at the screen just a few minutes ago when Nibby did the opening opening music? It talked all about the Christmas. Did you read it? Look, they're all scared they're going to get asked questions. (laughs) The word chrismon comes from the union of the words Christ and monogram. A chrismon is a monogram of Christ. Early Christians used chrismons to identify themselves to one another and share meeting places. So they showed the scroll up there. Does anybody remember what it stands for? Anybody? What? It represents the Old Testament, which predicted the arrival of Jesus. What about the lion? Aaliyah? What, what, what? Power? You're right. Uh, Very, was that Mark Austin? (laughs) A symbol for Jesus was sometimes called the Lion of Judah. It also represents the courage, the power, and the kingship of the Son of God. And the other one was the Lamb. Anybody? You guys got it. Go choir. A symbol for Jesus who is sometimes called the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that through him we might be saved. So today we're going to talk about, well first of all, look at our beautiful tree. You don't see a lot of color, but you see two really, really cool colors. What are the two colors? Where'd you see silver, Mark? White and gold. White and gold. All right, white and gold. White and gold. So come on, y'all. We make our Christmas using combinations of white and gold. White shows the Lord's purity and perfection. Gold shows His majesty and His glory. So the Christmas we're sharing today are, we have a crown. And you guys can pretty well tell what a crown means when we're talking about Jesus. He's the king. To represent Jesus was the king. Um, it also is a symbol of royal authority and power. God sent Jesus as a king of the Jews as well as Christ, king of kings. You want to hold this one? I'm going to have you put it back on the tree in just a second. And this is called, do you guys know what this is called? A what? A candy cane? It's kind of like a candy cane. With, with our chrismons, we call it a staff. And a staff is the shepherd's crook. Remember how the shepherd was in the field? The shepherd's crook because Jesus sometimes referred to himself as the good shepherd. A good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, and that's what Jesus did for us. He leads us and he guides us with love and devotion. Wyatt, would you put that one back on in a sec? Please. And this is really my favorite. I love the heart. And of course, what do you think the heart means? 
to share about or I'm going to share about is good Christian friends rejoice but originally it was good Christian men rejoice and the song itself which partings of a bunch of the song in itself is not as important I don't think as the two men who are responsible for giving it to us um, and this song was meant not to be just a Christmas song. As a matter of fact, there's not a lot in it about Christmas. But it was supposed to be the gospel in a nutshell. And I think you'll see what uh, he was wanting it to be whenever we start singing the piece. But Heinrich Suso was a progressive German priest during the 14th century. He was a Dominican monk with radical beliefs that brought him in conflict with the church. He wanted to help the common person understand more about God, and this was during a time that the church believed that the average person had no interest in theology, nor could they even understand it. Good Christian Men Rejoice was a radical hymn that Suso, uh, it was as radical a hymn as Suso's thinking was progressive. He broke three church rules when he wrote this hymn. First rule, all church music should be solemn. But Suso's melody embraces the joy of being a believer. The second rule was all church music must be based totally on scripture. But there is not any scripture expressed in this piece of music. And the third rule was that all church music must be written in the language of the church, which was Latin. But Suso wrote this in the common language of the people. While the church rejected the song and the priest was excommunicated and moved to Switzerland or forced to move to Switzerland, the German people very quickly and enthusiastically took the song to heart. They believed that just as this sweet priest had always been very kind to them and very helpful to them, that this song was meant to be just for them as well. Now, in steps our second character a few hundred years later. And this character, his name was John Mason Neal. He was an Anglican priest in England in the 1800s. And he was very progressive and very radical in his ways also. 
One of his main jobs was to translate old hymns from other languages into English. And part of while he was doing that, he also founded the Sisterhood, which was women of St. Marguerite that ministered to the poor, orphans and prostitutes in the community. And this ruffled some of the feathers of his colleagues and the church. Though this group would touch tens of thousands of people, it brought death threats to Neil and to the women who worked there. He was exiled to a pastorate far from his native England. He was stoned and beaten by a crowd for his beliefs. And he was ridiculed by the leadership of his own denomination. How sad. But for the rest of his days, Neil still sought out ways to reach the lost and the forgotten. And translating this piece into English was one of the things that he did. And um, in 1853, an English publisher released this edition of Good Christian Men Rejoice. And it paved uh, paved the way for the piece to be uh, shared with all the world. So let us stand as we sing Good Christian Friends Rejoice. All three verses. And notice how it tells the nutshell. In a nutshell, it is the message of Christ. and loving God, Lord, we thank you for this season. Father, you have commanded us to give, and as we come to this altar today, Lord, we ask the blessing on these gifts. We love you and we praise you. We ask that you keep all the families together today. They're here, Lord, and we ask that you be with them. We ask for safe travels during this season. All these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
This morning I'll be reading from Luke, the third chapter, verses 1 through 6. In the fifteenth year of the reign of the emperor of Tiberias, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Iternia and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Cephas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went out, he went into the, all the regions around Jordan proclaiming the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is the word of the Lord.
Don't you just love Christmas music? I do. I, this is such a wonderful time of the year for music. It, it is said to be a true story from the Old West about a gang of, ba- of bandits who attacked a mining operation and successfully captured the paymaster's safe. But they had never seen a safe before. These bandits had never seen a safe before. But they knew that it contained precious gold inside. So they tried to open it up. They beat it with a hammer. That didn't work. They dragged it over the ground with their horses. That didn't work. They heated it up on the fire. That didn't work. They tried to blast it open with gunpowder. That didn't work. And finally, they dropped it off the side of a cliff. But in spite of all of their efforts, the, the safe held tight. And finally, they just gave up and left it behind. Well, later, a posse of men found the safe. And the paymaster immediately rushed to it, turned the combination, and within just a few seconds, he had it open. What the bandits had been unable to accomplish with great effort the paymaster accomplished with just a twist of his wrist. Why? Because he knew the combination. Some things are like that, aren't they? We can penetrate them, we cannot penetrate them unless we find somebody who knows the right combination. And in our case, that someone is Jesus. 400 years before Christ, the Greek philosopher Plato pondered the limited knowledge and experience of the human condition. And he described our situation as being as if, human, as if humanity was imprisoned in a cave, shackled in a world from which we cannot escape. We wear blinders so that our perspective is limited to what is directly in front of us. And what we see are only the shadows of real objects. And since we are restrained, we are only able to see a small part of reality and can comprehend only a fraction of what is true. It is no wonder that Plato's name lives on even today. His, his recognition of the human condition was brilliant. He taught that all that humanity can see on its own are shadows in a dark cave. Well, my friends, Plato was a great philosopher. He was an intellectual giant. But listen to this. Even the simplest Christian believer has an advantage over this noble Greek philosopher. For you see, the simplest Christian believer knows that into that dark cave of the human condition... God has shown a wondrous light. And that is what Advent and Christmas are all about. An ancient theologian named Origen, I think he was from the 2nd century, tried to simplify the message of this season something like this. He said, suppose there was a statue that is so large that human eyes could not take it all in with one look. How could we ever grasp the essential form and substance of this statue, he asked. 
And of course, Origen could not imagine a world of, of drones that could fly above the statue and take pictures of the giant statue from overhead. And so Origen's solution was to make a small copy of the statue to an exact scale, but much smaller. And in that way, humanity could see what the larger statue was really like. And then Origen went on to say that this is exactly what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. God shows us what God is like within the bounds of our own human ability to understand. We are limited in our ability to understand. And so God gave us something that we could understand. And that's the first glorious truth about Advent and Christmas that we want to talk about this morning. God has come down to us in Jesus Christ. Christ is an exact replica of God reduced down to human size. Al Lindgren, he's a professor at Garrett Evangelical Seminary, he tells about taking his junior high school um, son fishing years ago. It's one of those days when, well, the fish weren't biting. You know, they, they, they just weren't biting that day. And so they had a lot of time just to talk. And so out of the blue, his son asked, Dad, what's the hardest thing that God ever tried to do? Well, even as a minister and he's, even as a theological professor, Al said that that question kind of took him off guard. He didn't know what to say. And so like a good teacher, he answered a question by asking a question. What do you think it was, huh? And so the son replied, even though you're a minister, you don't know much about God, do you? And then he proceeded to answer his own question. He said, since taking science in school, I thought that the creation of the world might be the hardest thing that God ever tried to do. But then in Sunday school, we got to talking about some of the miracles, like Jesus' resurrection. I thought, well, that might be the hardest thing that God ever did. And then after thinking some more and talking to others, I decided that nobody really knows God all that well. And so so now I think that the hardest thing that God ever tried to do was to get us to understand who God is. And that God really loves us. And all God, all Al could say was, Son, I think you're right. That is the hardest thing that God has ever had to do. And there was only one way that God could do that. God has come down to us in the person of Jesus Christ to show us the character of God to show us the love of God, to show us the mercy of God. And that is the good news of Advent. And why did God do this? It is because it was the only way that God could reveal God's self to us in a way that we could understand. And so the first thing that we need to see today is that God has come down. And the second thing is that God has humbled God's self in our behalf. I read something a while back about a former University of Alabama football player named John Croyle. 
I know it may surprise you that I'm talking about a University of Alabama football player being the Georgia dog, uh, Bulldogs fan that I am. But uh, anyway, he's, he was a good guy. Um, he was a devout Christian, or is a devout Christian. He started a ranch back in 1975. It's called the Big Oak Boys Ranch. And over the years, since that time, since 1975, that ranch has taken in more than 2,000 homeless, unwanted, and abused boys. It became their home. He raised them. Thirteen years later, a Big Oak Girls Ranch was added. But the Girls Ranch evolved from a court case involving a 12-year-old girl named Shelley. Shelley had been physically and sexually abused by her father. And, and the folks at the Big Oak Ranch pleaded with the judge to let Shelley come and live at the boys' ranch with them. But the judge refused and placed Shelley back with her parents. And three months later, Shelley was beaten to death by her parents. And so the girls' ranch was built in 1988 in Shelley's memory. Croyle once said that he has seen hundreds of miracles among these boys and girls. At the ranch, the children are exposed to faith, to love, and to hard work. And over the years, Quirrell has received a lot of help from, from football friends like the iconic late great coach Bear Bryant and many NFL luminaries. John married his childhood sweetheart, and they live on a, in a small farmhouse on the ranch. And, and John said that the boys say that they know I love them because I live in a smaller house than they, than they do. This, that sentence in that article caught my attention. You know, in this day and time, there are so many people who put themselves out there as servants of God. And yet they seek to live like royalty. One popular TV preacher today lives with his family, a small family, in a 17,000 square foot mansion. Why do you need that much space? And another TV preacher recently asked his followers to partner with him in securing a new $54 million jet. Now he already has three jets. But he wants a new jet. He wants one that he can fly anywhere in the world without having to stop for refueling. And he is quoted as saying, I really believe that if Jesus was physically on the earth today, he wouldn't be riding a donkey. Contrast that with John Croyle. The boys say they know I love them because I live in a smaller house than they, than they do. Do you see the point here? God needed to communicate God's love to us. And the only way to do that was for God to humble God's self. God moved into a house smaller than ours. A manger. Some straw. Some sheep. Some shepherds. Maybe the little town of Bethlehem was the only place that that could have happened. We mortals wouldn't have done it that way. We would have rather had our children, our son, to be born in, in Rome or Athens or at the very least Jerusalem. But not God. 
little town of Bethlehem would do just fine. You see, God humbled God's self and came into a stable and a manger among the cattle and the sheep and the shepherds in this little town of Bethlehem in order to communicate to us just how much God loves us. God has come down to us in Jesus Christ and God has humbled God's self in our behalf. And those are the first two great truths about Advent and Christmas. Here's the third. Humanity has been lifted up. Because of what God has done, humanity has been lifted up. Even though we are totally unworthy of any action on our part, on the part of God, on our behalf, God came down to us so that we might be lifted up. I love nativity scene stories. <laughs> There is so much humanity in these divine tales. There was one church who was having an outdoor nativity pageant, and they decided to use live animals in this pageant. And this was quite a feat since this church was located right in the heart of a large metropolitan area. This was like downtown major city. And so on the evening of the pageant, everybody was busy getting everything ready, all the last-minute tweaks to the scenery and, and getting the costumes in line. And nobody noticed that the donkey just kind of wandered off. He trotted down in the middle of the street and caused quite a ruckus, especially when, when he went into a nearby bar. <laughs> Obviously, one of the customers was startled when he saw that donkey coming into the bar, so he pushed his glass aside and decided he'd had enough. But the bartender tried to calm the customer down and said, Oh, don't worry about that donkey. He, says he belongs up there at the Methodist Church. And thinking about that, the man decided it was time to leave. Well, you know, there are some donkeys over at the Methodist Church. and the Presbyterian Church, and the Baptist Church, and on the inside and the outside of every church, everywhere. The fact is that we all act like donkeys sometimes, don't we? But guess what? When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, all of us donkeys were raised up to a new level. God has come down. Humanity has been lifted up. Now, if you take a look at the history of mankind from a moral and theological perspective, and if you look at the way things are today, you might become a little discouraged, maybe even depressed. I mean, think about it. Thousands of years of bloodshed and hatred and bigotry and, and war. And, and the way things are today, our future appears to be doomed to that same path. We human beings simply don't get it. And yet 2,000 years ago in this little town of Bethlehem, God paid humanity the ultimate compliment. You see, God took on human flesh in order that God might reveal to us God's great love for us. We are that important 
to God. So God came down. God humbled God's self for us and humanity has been lifted up. Here's the final thing to be said today. Salvation has drawn near. That was the message of John the Baptist in the wilderness. Quoting from the prophet Isaiah, he proclaimed, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low. The crooked shall be made straight, and the rough way shall be made smooth. And then he said, All flesh shall see the salvation of God. My friends, have you seen the salvation of God? We know that God has humbled God's self and come into our world. And we know that God's purpose was that the world, through Jesus Christ, might be saved. But what is our response to that wonderful news? Pastor David, uh, uh, Barry Davis noticed something interesting um, in a recent issue of the Harvard Business Review. And you might find this enlightening in, in the this, this season of gift giving. He said that one of the most popular gifts these days are gift cards. And why not? It's a great gift. We've probably all given gift cards. It's a, it's a great gift, especially for somebody who's hard to buy for. Research shows that 39.2% of shoppers will buy a department store gift card for friends and family, followed by 33.4% of shoppers buying a restaurant gift card. But according to estimates reported to the Journal of State Taxation, the typical American home has an average of $300 in unredeemed gift cards in their homes. Lying around just... Unused. $300 of gift cards in their homes, unused. Many of them have been misplaced. Some of them have been accidentally thrown away or partially redeemed, not completely redeemed. And, and according to this report, listen to this, folks. According to this report, between 2005 and 2011, $41 billion in gift cards went unused. That's a lot of money. That's amazing, isn't it? Not in my house. But the point is, what good is a gift card if you don't use it? And what good is God's gift of God's Son if you and I have not opened our hearts to His love? God came down to us in the person of Jesus Christ. God humbled God's self for us. And humanity has been lifted up. And salvation has drawn near. This is where the horizontal and the vertical intersect. And and it is here where we find the cross of Jesus Christ. You have probably seen this famous painting of the nativity 
this is just a, a small portion of the painting, but across the crib you will see falls the shadow of the cross. And, and, and it is the artist's way of saying that salvation is God's eternal plan for humanity from the very beginning. This is why God came down. This is why we have been lifted up. Heaven and earth have intersected at the cross. And so we are the recipients of a great free gift. We are the recipients of the greatest Christmas gift of all. The God of all creation has become the baby of Bethlehem. And the baby of Bethlehem became the Lamb of Calvary. And because of the work that God began in that stable, our salvation has been made possible. And folks, we don't have to do anything grandiose in order to earn that our salvation. There's no material gift that we can offer to God in return for what God has done for us. There's nothing we can give to God to earn what God has given to us. We're kind of like that college student who couldn't get home for Christmas. and So he sent his dad a, a set of cheap cufflinks and an inexpensive tie tack. And, and along with this gifts, he sent a note saying, Dear Dad, this is not much, but it's all you could afford. When we try to offer something material to God or something derived from our own accomplishment, I'm sure that God smiles with great appreciation and understanding. But the gift that God offers to us is totally and unconditionally free. There is only one gift that we can offer to God in return, and that is to receive the free gift that God offers to us. God humbled God's self and came down to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Humanity has been lifted up and salvation has drawn near. And all we have to do is to receive it. Joyfully. Thankfully. And make it our own. This is the truth of Advent. Amen. Let us sing our closing hymn today, Amazing Grace. And that's what we've been talking about. The amazing grace of God as seen in the life and death of Jesus Christ and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is grace because we can't earn it. The very definition of grace is it it is a free gift to us. It is given to us from God. It is the gift of God's Son. And it is the gift of salvation that comes through God's Son. Let us celebrate the amazing grace of God as seen in that baby of Bethlehem.
We have seen an intimation of the presence of Christ. And as we leave this place of worship, we once again meet ourselves. Help us to see Christ in each of our brothers and sisters that we meet. And as we encounter a needy world, may we do our part to make the rough places smooth so that those around us will see God's saving work. Amen.